Hey, everyone. I'm Zach Wolf, a senior writer at CNN. This is The Daily DC, and we are officially in the throes of a hotly contested primary season. We're right between the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary, and I've got two guests to help me unpack the latest developments. In a few minutes, I'll be talking with CNN political commentator Maria Cardona. Maria is a Democratic strategist. But first, Dan Marica, a CNN political reporter, is on the phone, and I will start by asking him my favorite question for political reporters at this time of year. Dan, where the heck are you? I am sitting in my car outside of a church in Manchester, New Hampshire. There's freezing rain beating down on the windshield, and I have the wrong shoes on, so I'm not eager to get out of this car. But I will let you know that I am parked. Thanks. We actually asked Dan to park, so safety first here on the podcast. Um, Maybe we can start, however, you're in New Hampshire, but we need to start this thing in Iowa because that is still where a lot of the news is. The candidates are there with you in New Hampshire, but... Two in particular are basically uh, claiming they have won Iowa. Take a listen to Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg here. Where we are in Iowa is with only about 180,000 people voting, eight strong candidates. We ended up getting the uh, we ended up winning the popular vote by 6,000. They have a realignment process, as you know, in Iowa. We won that by 2,500. And I suspect that at the end of the day, uh, Mr. Buttigieg and I will have an equal number of um, of delegates to the national convention. That win for us uh, uh, in Iowa is fantastic. Senator Sanders clearly had a great night, too, and I congratulate him and, and his supporters. OK, D- Dan, both of those candidates are claiming they have won the Iowa caucuses, but neither has because, as you write today, there are serious questions about the data. There are inconsistencies. The data in Iowa could be wrong. That is the heart of the issue right now. And what you've seen from people monitoring the data, that that includes journalists, operatives, other folks, uh, many of whom have just been tweeting the mistakes that they see, you have some precincts where uh, more people are counted on second alignment, which is just physically not possible. You know, uh, Iowans walk into their caucus site, they are counted. Then there's a process for those candidates that don't have enough support to realign. But the numbers should generally match up. And there shouldn't be more people who come into the caucus site after that realignment process. Technically, the doors are supposed to close and no one uh, and, and no one else can come in after that process. Then you have issues where there are questions being raised about how the delegates are being weighted from certain caucus sites. I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but some campaigns and some uh, some folks have flagged the fact that there are precincts in Iowa where 100 people voted and they were weighted in a way that made them as powerful, if not more powerful, than precincts that had 500 people in other parts of the state. It's a very complicated process, and that is why the Iowa Democratic Party announced today that they're extending the time for campaigns to call for a recanvas and then asking them to submit all of the mistakes they have caught by noon tomorrow central time, and they have until Monday Monday at noon to call for a uh, for a recount or a recanvas. At this point, it doesn't seem like either of the leading campaigns in Iowa, that of Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders, are eager to do that. We had town halls with both of them last night on CNN. Both seem to suggest that they're ready to move on to New Hampshire. We'll be interested to see if that continues. If they see 
Maybe there's a possibility for Bernie Sanders to pull ahead. Maybe uh, Pete Buttigieg's campaign thinks he can get a bigger lead and get an additional national delegate out of Iowa if they correct some of these mistakes. That all remains to be seen. But what is known at this point is that the Iowa caucus results will not be certified in any universe until Monday, which is the day before the New Hampshire primary and a week after Iowans went to caucus the previous Monday. Okay, so those two top candidates, and let's just assume that they remain as the top two, this whole idea that we can't trust information in elections is extremely disconcerting to me, and we're going to be talking about that for a long time. But let's set that aside, if we can, for just a minute, and look at the fact that these two uh, gentlemen want to essentially declare victory um, and leave. Uh, Regardless, and you were there back uh, in in 2016, regardless of that, Bernie Sanders is going to have fewer votes and less support this year than he did four years ago. And Pete Buttigieg, this former mayor from Indiana, uh, may end up being in in the top two, both in Iowa and New Hampshire. That, in my book, is that is a political miracle that a mayor can do that well. What is the story for you about going forward, what's going to happen with Democrats as they sort of make their decisions uh, between all these many candidates and now this emerging tier of top two uh, that they're looking at? So I think the story about where this Democratic primary goes actually has less to do with Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. They are going to be going after each other over the next couple of days, it seems. Bernie Sanders previewed some of that in a speech this morning here in New Hampshire, I think they definitely see each other as their mo- the most obvious opponents in this state. Polls have showed that Buttigieg is rising here. Bernie Sanders has a very good base here. I, though, think the, the story of the next few weeks, maybe next few days of the, na- of the Democratic primary, are going to focus more on Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Both turned in, you know, okay performances in Iowa. You had Elizabeth Warren, who was a distant third, and then Joe Biden behind her, what they do and what they're able to turn in in New Hampshire will say a lot about how uh, the the Democratic race goes forward. You're going to have a lot of establishment Democrats, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, hand-wringing if Joe Biden doesn't do well in New Hampshire. Uh, That will set up a scenario where he has to do well in Nevada to kind of keep that firewall that he has among African-American voters in South Carolina. Elizabeth Warren as well. She has been this candidate that says she can unify the party. Well, the only way that you can prove that to people is by actually doing so and winning uh, a state where she is obviously the neighboring senator. If she's unable to do that or to turn in a good performance here, that obviously is a very big hit on what her entire message is for the Democratic primary. So, I, you know, it does say a great deal about Pete Buttigieg that he was able to rise from absolutely nowhere. He had a staff of four when he announced his exploratory committee, his staff is now uh, in the 600 range. So he is at a monumental rise. And, and so you could do an entire podcast on how that has happened and the big steps in his, in his campaign. Bernie Sanders obviously has enjoyed a lot of support in Iowa and New Hampshire, and, uh, and that will give him a lot of momentum going into Nevada. But I do think the focus of the next few days is going to be on, those, on Biden and Warren and what they're able to do here and how that impacts the race going forward. And you you didn't mention it, but we were talking about it earlier, 
the fact that Iowa and New Hampshire, overwhelmingly white states, the base of the party uh, is 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 increasingly mi- minority voters, and and we don't meet those voters until uh, South Carolina and Nevada. So they are are in extremely important. And just I would like to point out, uh, you mentioned that Warren uh, neighbors New Hampshire. Uh, she represents Massachusetts in the Senate. Ver- Bernie Sanders also neighbors New Hampshire. He's he's from Vermont, and you know people don't talk about it, but Amy Klobuchar represents Minnesota, and she's not even in the top four in neighboring Iowa. Um, so. So, Dan, parting thought, where do you go next after you uh, after you uh, drive out from in front of the church in, Ma- in Manchester? What's your next stop? Well, I have a few things to do around Manchester and calls to make. But the big the big event tonight is the debate. And that will be kind of the message setting moment here in New Hampshire. I think I think these questions that we have about where the debate goes from here, how the candidates handle the Iowa chaos, how they handle each other after Iowa is going to say a lot about how they see their campaign stacking up going into New Hampshire. I think if you, you know, Biden has previewed that he needs to get aggressive and he has gone after Bernie Sanders. He's gone after Pete Buttigieg. Tom Steyer will be on the debate. He released an ad last night that went after uh, the top tier of candidates. Um, Bernie Sanders has previewed that he is, that he's willing to go after Pete Buttigieg, especially, especially on his raising money from wealthy donors. So, all the signs point to a pretty contentious debate going into tonight in New Hampshire. Uh, we have thought that was going to happen in the past, though, and most of the debates so far have been pretty tame. There have been moments that have gotten aggressive, but on the whole, it hasn't compared anywhere near to what happened in 2008, when there was also a large field and a number of top-tier candidates. Um, so, so while the signs point to the fact that this could be a, an aggressive debate, uh, you know, that has happened before, and there's no telling if that will happen this time. But what will happen is that the candidates will position themselves for the next few days at this debate, and it will say how they are approaching their can- their campaigns going into New Hampshire. Okay, Dan, I would tell you to go buy an expense to CNN some new shoes, but you're going to be in South Carolina in no time, and it's much warmer there. Um, get, ba- get back to work, buddy, and, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Joining me now is CNN political commentator Maria Cardona. Maria we're happy to have you here. We were just talking to Dan Marica, uh, the CNN political reporter up in New Hampshire. We talked a lot about Iowa. There's also, I think, the issue <laughs> of uh, Donald Trump's impeachment and what Democrats can make of that as a as a, as a political um, you know, gamble. You know, perhaps those are those are three really important topics. I'm not sure which one to ask about first. <laughs> you choose. <laughs> Your own adventure. Where, where should we go? Let's talk about the impeachment and Donald Trump and Democratic strategy, especially since the president is now very vocally talking about his quote unquote acquittal, his uh, record high polling numbers, at least for him. And a lot of people, I think, are wondering how are the Democrats going to approach that during the election? Uh, okay, <laughs> that's a great. That's a, there you go. I couldn't have couldn't have asked it better myself. Let me answer. I'm not sure how Democrats are going to approach it. I think that they felt like they had to impeach him clearly because of the things that he did, and they always knew he was going to be acquitted. But now they're facing the image of him holding up that 
you know, newspaper showing Trump acquitted and him being able to talk about the strong economy or, you know, they might quibble with how strong the economy is for certain people, but it is a strong economy. So he is, you know, essentially acquitted and ready to run for reelection. And they are in complete disarray, at least for now. So I would say you're right about the challenge of running against a president who is very braggadocious, as is Trump, and especially after he was acquitted by the Senate and in the face of what is a very strong economy. There are a couple of things, though. You are right that Democrats had to impeach him. If we had not, our base would have gone crazy. And that would have been a recipe, I believe, for electoral disaster in terms of having people think that Democrats are not going to stand up to this president no matter what, and they would stay home. And that was not an option, number one. Number two, I really believe that the majority of Democrats, if not every single one of them, did it because they really thought it was an important statement to make about how important our democracy is. And they did take a very tough vote. Many of them knew it. Many of them knew that perhaps even their own race was on the line. So I'm incredibly proud of of how Democrats handled this because they put country and constitution before party. And that is, I believe, going to be a really strong argument going into these elections, whether you're a House Democrat fighting for your life, whether you are a Senate Democrat that is perhaps up against a Republican senator who is in a swing state. And I think that that is a really strong argument for the Democrat to have. Or if you are the Democrat the, the Democratic candidate who was nominated by our party to run against Donald Trump. On the economy. We, we don't know who that is, by the way, and that is Correct. an extremely important, <laughs> important caveat there. Uh, that's true. But I think at the end of the day, because we are going to have such a contested primary, at least that's what it looks like right now, we are going to end up with the strongest candidate to go up against Trump. That's what primaries are for. And so in terms of the economy, what I would say is a couple things. The first one is this economy does look really strong on paper. But you know what? And the Democratic candidates will talk about this, and they have, and they will continue to, and they should. It's not an economy that's working for everyone. He, Trump, likes to brag about the historic unemployment rate in African-American and Latino communities. Well, you know what? I had a single mom Latina talk to me just yesterday about how she has to hold down three jobs, okay? Three jobs, And she does not have any health insurance. That is not an economy that is working for her. And that is a story that is repeated over and over and over again, not just in communities of color, but in rural communities and low-income communities. This is a great economy that is working for Donald Trump's rich friends and for corporations who are paying no taxes. But it's not an economy that's working right now for a lot of Americans. The second thing I would say is... The one issue that really helped Democrats win back the House was health care. This is an issue that is front and center. It is the number one issue for many, many voters still. And do you know why? It's because you can't really separate 
health care from the economy. And that's what Democrats are going to do. They're going to marry the two. Because if you can't afford your health care, if you have to choose between paying the mortgage or paying prescription drugs, perhaps because you have a life and death situation going on, that's not an economy that's working for you either. But we have health care is the most important issue for Democrats. It's been that way for a while now. But we have two very different ideas uh, for where we should go. We have the Bernie Sanders way. And let's just isolate these two guys because they are the top two in Iowa. We'll see how it goes in New Hampshire. The Pete Buttigieg way is very different. It's not Medicare for all. So the party is still having to answer some very important questions. Mm -hmm. We don't know if they're going to go Medicare for all, if they're going to go, you know, more of a public Medicare for everyone who wants it, I think is how Pete Buttigieg says it. Is the party going to be able to be okay with not getting what they want because about half the party is not going to get what they want. Absolutely. And and here's why I believe that's true. Uh, Again, you do have this contest of ideas within the Democratic Party. Uh, Medicare for all on one end, and then you have Medicare for everyone who wants it from Pete. And if you're Joe Biden, you want Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act with the public option. But all of these ideas are centered around one major priority, and that is to give as many Americans health care in as accessible a way as possible. That is hugely different from what Republicans are trying to do right now, which is frankly ripping health care from millions of Americans. And millions of Americans have already lost health care from the moment that President Trump took office and the actions that he has taken uh, to essentially debilitate and get rid of the Affordable Health Care Act. That is a singular, incredibly potent message for any of the Democratic candidates who are going to be nominated. But Trump, you know, he often lies uh, at the State of the Union address. He said that he he's he's going to protect pre-existing conditions. The The fact is that he's trying essentially to, um, you know, do, do away with the Obamacare law, the Affordable Care Act, without having anything to, you know, replace it. They're, and they have failed to repeal it, but they're trying to suffocate it. So, right. you know, all of this gets into back to kind of cutting through the mirage of of uh, rhetoric that he will paint, and he has shown himself to be so effective at doing. I think we have to cut it off there. Um, thanks for coming to to talk to us, Maria Cardona, um, and thanks, Dan Merica. I hope he is being safe in his car up there in New Hampshire. And a friendly reminder: we've got a new p- episode every single weeknight, so please subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And we will see you on Monday.